Welcome to the Solve the Overeating Puzzle podcast. I'm your host, Eugenia Nikiforo, and the founder of Unlocks You, the Eating Psychology Clinic. I'm passionate about bringing psychology, nutrition, and neuroscience together to dive deep into the underlying and often hidden reasons for our food cravings, overeating, and binge eating urges. We are all unique and have to consider who we are as an eater. Therefore, I really believe we do identify what is contributing to our relationship with food. We know which specific keys to use to unlock that transformation we so desire. In this podcast, I am aiming to give you the insights into psychology and brain so you understand why you eat the way you do and know how to apply this knowledge in your daily life so you can eat, live, feel, and be exactly the way you desire and deserve. Hello and welcome to Solve the Overeating Puzzle. My name is Eugenia and I'm your host and founder of Unlocks You, the Eating Psychology Clinic. Today, I am really excited to talk to Charlotte, our Unlocks You coach and a qualified psychology of eating coach. She shares her personal journey of struggling with binge eating, emotional eating, body hatred, and yo-yo dieting that consumed so much of her life, time, and energy. Charlotte is sharing specific and very practical tools that she used to recover, and now she's coaching others to do the same which makes her really relatable and she's even more passionate about helping her clients to overcome the eating challenges as she really knows how that can affect their life. In this episode, we talk about practical ways that help Charlotte to overcome binge eating and emotional eating. We talked about some very unexpected ways that actually healed her relationship with food and how to create healthy habits so we can also stay consistent with our diet, health, and um, exercise, or whatever else you're currently working on. We talk about mindset and how that plays a role when it comes to overcoming our eating challenges and how to create a mindset of growth. We talk about why binge eating is not really a problem, but rather a message and that there is a deeper reason for our challenges with food. We also talk about how to read this message from our body, life, and soul. I hope you will enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did recording it and talking to Charlotte. And please do let me know if you have any uh, questions or would like to suggest any other topics. Here we are, enjoy. So Charlotte, welcome to our podcast, um, Solve the Overeating Puzzle. I am really excited to have you here. Um, And I'm really looking forward to um, having our conversation about your personal story. your relationship with food and what happened in the past. 
uh, you are one of our coaches for um, working at Unlocks You. Um, and I think it would be really, really great to for the for all the listeners and those who are watching uh, this this video to really learn more about you and show you know we all go through so many difficult situations in life um, and yeah I would love to hear more about about your story. Yeah, absolutely excited to be here and excited to be a part of the Unlocks You team. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my health journey really began in my early 20s. So I went on a European exchange and after excessive binge drinking, binge eating, junk food diet, as you do when you're on a uni exchange, I ended up gaining like 15 to 20 kilos somewhere in that ballpark. And I just remember returning home feeling so mortified and embarrassed about the weight gain because like prior to that, I held, I guess, the identity of being skinny like I could eat food without it really impacting my weight and I didn't realize how much of my self-worth and uh, self-esteem was caught up in that skinny identity until I kind of lost that and up until that point I had no understanding of nutrition I didn't know how my body worked I didn't know how to take care of myself I didn't really know any health principles like I remember just, I ate a packet of biscuits for lunch or lollipop for morning tea. I was just all over the shop. So yeah, I remember returning home from the exchange and as a bit of a high achiever at that time, I wanted to take massive action and lose the weight ASAP. So I went on a extreme restrictive diet full of punishing exercise and counting calories on like fitness pal or whatever it was. As that's the only solution I really knew about it. And it's the one that I guess we've all heard in like media. And I became very fixated on that goal of weight loss. I was constantly thinking and stressing about food and trying to control my environment to limit all temptations. And kind of, I stopped socializing a lot because I was like, well, there could be food there, better not go to that event. And after about six to nine months or something, I did successfully lose all the weight. But <laughs> the elation of the weight loss was quickly replaced by fear as I was just so afraid of regaining the weight. And I felt so trapped by being in this restrictive diet, which was basically fueled by guilt and self-loathing. And I still didn't love my body and I didn't have a healthy relationship with food, even though I'd supposedly reached my ideal goal weight. So... Not surprisingly, that kind of all came undone with a bit of life pressure. At the time, I was living in Italy with my then Italian boyfriend. So I ended up breaking up with him, leaving Italy, returning to Australia, quitting a master I was studying, and my family's business went like bust all in the same month. So I went spiraling right back down. And I turned to food as a comfort and a soother at that time, and I guess a bit of a source of love and began binge and emotional eating quite a lot at that time. And as you can imagine, all of the weight returned. And worst of all, my mental health just like plummeted. I like to say this was my rock bottom moment and that everything has been uphill from there. At that, at that stage, I did not have any energy or motivation or any ounce of desire to go on another diet. 
So I started to look for solutions on Google and YouTube, just Googling around, watching YouTube videos, trying to like piece this health puzzle together myself. And I stumbled across a book called The Slow Down Diet by Mark David. And after reading that, I was, it was so eye-opening and it just like, it changed the way I saw food and eating. And it wasn't just about what you're supposed to eat. It was also like how you do eating. And it went into the psychology of eating, which I didn't even know was a thing. And at that end of that book, there was an invitation to study in Mark's um, certification program, which for me, it was like, yes, yes, take my money. Here's my money, please. I need to be in this program. So I studied a coaching certificate in mind-body eating at the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, which is quite the mouthful, at the end of 2019-2020, which combined uh, dynamic eating psychology with mind-body nutrition. And when I first enrolled, it was basically for me. I wanted to heal my relationship with food. Like I wanted to overcome binge and emotional eating for me and lose weight um, sustainably and just learn how my body worked and learn about nutrition. But after studying at the Institute and really embodying the teachings, I became really, really, really inspired to share this with other people and actually step into that role of being an eating psychology coach because the teachings changed my life. So I knew like they could change other people's lives. And since then, I've been working one-on-one with clients to support them on their own health journey and navigate through their own health challenges and heal their relationship with food and body and really just get to the root cause of what their uh, binge eating and emotional eating challenge is all about, which takes us in so many different directions. Every client is different and every client has a different relationship with food. And as you said at the start, now I'm lucky enough to join the Unlocks You team and be a part of a bigger community, which is really fun. So yeah. Yeah, it's, am- it's amazing. Such a such a long and big journey. Um, I want to cycle back a little bit. Um, really something fascinating, what you said there. I was eating whatever I was eating. Sometimes it was biscuits or <laughs> for, for lunch and it didn't kind yeah. of bother me, right? Yeah. While, yes, I guess we don't see it as a balanced diet and a good diet, and yet it didn't really bother you. It, um, dieting or weight or your body seems like wasn't really a topic for you. It was not yeah. until you, um, and also your weight wasn't really a topic for you. It was not mm-hmm. until you went actually, like you consciously decided, I want to lose weight then that that fear of food started coming up for you. Yeah. I guess for me, I was pretty skinny and naturally thin. So I kind of scaved through, like I could eat whatever I wanted without it affecting my body. Even though I probably had, well, I did have terrible acne. I had low energy. I had all of Mm. these other symptoms, but usually it's the weight that grabs us until Mm. we start seeing like weight gain, then it's like, oh, oh, I better take action. I better start, you know, thinking about food more. But it's like the other smaller, which are bigger, you know, symptoms, we kind of just put aside. And because of like the societal narrative of like weight gain is bad. Like as soon as you gain weight, that's when things are like, you've got to take action. And so that was pretty much what happened to me. It wasn't until like the weight gain started that I was like, oh, oh, 
I got to look at my relationship with food. Like prior to that, I think I just ate food, didn't think about it, never felt guilty. It was, it wasn't a great relationship with food, but it wasn't something I like consumed all of my energy. Yeah. Mm. It was interesting what you're saying there. I was reading or listening to a podcast just actually the other day and they brought up the topic, which made me really think, let's say there are two people and one person might look from the outside as what we classify as that um, healthy person, right? Like a person who lives in a, in a smaller body. Mm-hmm. And this person, we might look at that person and think, okay, she is slim or they are slim. Um, therefore they are healthy. Mm. Even though we, we don't know their bloods, we don't know their, yeah. let's say if it's a woman, for example, right? If how her period is, we don't know her mm-hmm. hormones. We don't know any of those things because obviously quite often that is not shared <laughs> with public and yeah. we don't really need to know it either, <laughs> I think. Um, and then let's say there is someone else who might not fit into that I- ideal as what we see in the Western world. However, mm-hmm. maybe their bloods are actually healthy and their, mm-hmm. all their data is really healthy in the background. But this person might actually experience challenges from the outside because of that bias that the society puts on that person. Yeah, Absolutely. There's that big health at any size movement going on right now, which is so, so amazing. And just what you were saying before, like I was in a group of friends and we had what maybe society deemed a bigger size friend, but she was the healthiest of all of us. She was into, she was into eating healthy meals. I remember she brought salads to us to school. She was exercising. She was like, had an amazing body image. She was just so confident and the smaller people in the group, we, we didn't have a great body image at all. And we were eating candy. And yet from the outside, like you just said, we may have been deemed healthier looking, which is, yes. <laughs> yeah, I think makes us all kind of um, question, right? All our own yep. beliefs about, about body image and body size and actually even looking into what is actually healthy right? You've Mm -hmm. just brought that word out. Um, We looked like, or she was healthy. It seems like she was healthy and we didn't, and our relationship wasn't as healthy. So I guess that's where we need to, and each of us really need to look into what is healthy. So even like, let's say eating a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. Yes, maybe we don't get as many nutrients by eating (laughs) that piece of cake as we would have if we have like a green salad. But at the same time, it can be it can be very nurturing and nourishing for the soul and that connection with people. And sometimes eating that piece of cake is actually much, much healthier for, for everything else, right. For the, for your soul, for your, for, for that psychology and apart apart from the nutrients that we're eating. Yep. Definitely. Yes. Because there's a difference between eating the piece of cake with a state of guilt and like, oh, I shouldn't be eating this. Oh my gosh. And like, just like trying to eat really fast because you're feeling guilty and shameful versus just slowing down and enjoying every bite and just like getting the maximum pleasure from that cake, which is something I used to do prior to dieting. It was like when I used to eat cake as a child, I never thought about it. I was like, this is an amazing cake. I love this. And then I went into that dieting world and it was like, oh no, I shouldn't be eating this. And then 
oh no, like the calories, just it's same piece of cake, completely different. Like that's what I learned um, at the Institute for Psychology of Eating. It's not just like what you're eating. It is that how, how are you engaging with food? How, like, what is your mindset when you are eating? Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it takes that pleasure away from, from that cake, right? I can imagine, and obviously been there myself in the past when I'm so preoccupied with feeling guilt and overthinking and counting calories in my head while mm. I'm eating that cake I don't even notice that I'm eating it yep right? <laughs> I kind of miss out on actually really tasting it and and enjoying it as well so you said you started start studying and really learned a lot about relationship with food and also really understanding that there is not only what we eat, but also how and when and why, particularly why we eat, who we are as an eater as well, that we really have to consider that person who is actually eating because everyone is, like you said, is very different. So what are some of the practical ways that help you to overcome binge eating? Yep. So one of the biggest um, practical ways to overcome binge eating for me was slow and relaxed eating, which we kind of just touched on with the cake is, and this was something that was reinforced time and time again during my certificate to slow down when you eat, because eating fast is a stressor to the body and it turns on this sympathetic nervous system, the stress response. And that shuts down digestion, making it very difficult to assimilate all the nutrients from the food that you're eating. So something Mark used to say in the program is you could eat the healthiest meal in the world, whether that's a salad or a curry or something. But if you're eating under stress and you're just rushing through that meal, you're not going to get all the nutrients from that meal. And eating fast also leads to like heartburn and gas and digestive pains and could leave you feeling fatigued after the meal. So slow eating is really important. Also because the experts say that it can take up to 20 minutes for our body to realize it's full. So if you're rushing through your meal and you eat the meal in five to 10 minutes flat, your body doesn't have enough time to register the food that you've eaten. So it may still think you're hungry and then you go and eat a second helping. And then before you know it, you're now uncomfortably full. So to help you uh, relax and slow down when you eat, I, something that I use um, is conscious breathing, just taking five to 10 breaths before I'm about to eat. And sometimes saying a little gratitude prayer for the meal in front of me, because it helps me be really present. And yeah, and <laughs> as a heads up, slow eating sounds very simple, but it's actually quite hard because we're habitually fast eaters because we grow, grew up in a society that is very on the go, very fast, rewards productivity. So it's like, just get, it, get the meal done, get stuff done and get it off your plate and move on to the next thing. So slow eating is like a reclamation. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we need, um, we actually need oxygen to break down foods. So by breathing while you're eating, which many of us don't actually do it can really help you digest and assimilate the foods yeah um, a second practical tip is that I used is creating an eating schedule in sync with the sun so something I learned that maybe I should have known is that we have a bicycadian rhythm that is attuned to be in rhythm with the sun 
So our body is designed to optimally assimilate cal calories during daylight hours when we have the most metabolic power. So a shift I made was eating the bulk of my calories in the first two thirds of the day when the sun is strongest in the sky. As prior to that, I was skipping breakfast and eating the most of my meals in the later half of the day. And I also learned that skipping breakfast slows down metabolism, stores fat, it doesn't help you build muscle and your body thinks you're entering starvation. So that turns on the stress response, which shuts down digestion. <laughs> so now um, I make sure I start the day with a nourishing, healthy, macro balanced breakfast, which for me looks like avocado and eggs or rice crackers. And I know many people of my clients in the past have said, well, I'm just not a breakfast person. <laughs> and a lot of the time it's because, yeah, of course, you're eating the bulk of your calories late at night. So when you wake up, you're not hungry. So that's a bit of a vicious cycle. <laughs> and I think also um, quite often uh, what I see with clients is they say, I'm not really hungry. And yet they have two cups of coffee in the morning, yeah. which is what we know is an appetite suppressor. Mm -hmm. So if I have two cups of coffee in the morning, of course, I'm not going to be hungry <laughs> because yeah. my appetite has been suppressed, but it doesn't mean that my body doesn't need it. And also like what you said there, we will be catching up on it later on because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, our body needs a certain amount of calories and it will, it will try to get what it needs at some point. And unfortunately, that's kind of how also binge eating sometimes happens as well. We're missing mm -hmm. out on those meals and not only at breakfast, but for some people really, unfortunately, also lunch and later in the day, mm -hmm. and they end up eating more calories late at night. Yep, absolutely. And something I didn't realize is that the exact same meal eaten at lunch and dinner is not digested in the same way because eating it late at night, it places more of a caloric load on our body because we're not optimally designed to eat that much food late at night. So when people start counting calories, many of them don't consider at what time they're eating those meals because they will be completely digested differently by the body. So now after learning that, I decided to have a smaller dinner um, about three to four hours before bedtime so that my body could digest it before it goes to bed. Because if we have a big meal late at night, we could have a terrible night's sleep because all of the energy that was meant for tissue repair and body maintenance now is being redirected into trying to digest your meal. Yeah. Um, the third practical piece would be eating macro balanced meals, which I know you talk about a lot in your program, the, the Rewire to Eat program. So just touch on it quickly. Yeah. Um, I started, I didn't even realize I was deficient in um, my macros. I was not eating enough proteins and fats, because, which many of us are because there's that narrative out there that fat equals fat on the body, which is a complete myth. <laughs> so I found when I started including more um, essential fatty acids, healthy fats during the day, I felt fuller for longer and it kind of curbed a lot of those sugar cravings I was having. So I introduced a lot more avocados, nuts, uh, olive oil, yogurt, which was really great. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you have yeah, any point on that? Absolutely. I mean, like you're saying, I, I talk about balanced diet all the time. And, mm -hmm. and while it is a basic concept, and I think a lot of the time people are really looking for something more 
sophisticated. There, there should be, there must be, there must be like a trick or there must be yeah. something that I don't know about what other people do. And yet I think it's really coming back to the basics. Um, mm -hmm. We all need, and this is what our bodies are designed to digest, carbohydrates, fats, and protein. Mm -hmm. This is what our body knows because this is what exists in nature. Everything else all the processed foods with um, all the additives and colors and um, whatever else is there, our body doesn't know what it is. So it doesn't, it doesn't digest it, but also obviously having that balanced, having your balanced meals here. So adding carbohydrates, protein, and fat that way we're also making sure that our blood sugar is stable um, mm -hmm. eating regular, right? So every three to four hours, again, we're stabilizing our blood sugar, which helps with energy levels, which helps with any food cravings. We're making sure that our blood sugar doesn't drop and which helps then, yeah, with particularly sugar craving or usually it's also the um, high calorie dense foods and high, highly palatable foods, the cravings as well. Um, it's really nothing, nothing complicated coming back to those basics and really making sure that we have protein fat particularly in every meal yeah. and like I said three to four hours and you will notice all the cravings are just going and then we need to look into the psychological of obviously yeah. into the why right why am I eating um mm -hmm. but I always say food is the first thing that we need to cover and then Absolutely. we go into the psychological mm-hmm yep what you touched on before about we're always looking for a complicated solution and like the next great protein like powder I should be eating or like the fancy supplements I should be taking even though we haven't got those basic fundamental structures in place so yeah that was getting that right was a big game changer for me and the next point would be meal prepping <laughs> which I know all the listeners have heard time and time again oh yes okay I need to meal prep but I really encourage you to meal prep because once I started carving out a few hours or less on the weekend or during the week to meal prep, either like a big serve of something like a curry or a stir fry, or just meal prep different food groups, like cooking up a pot of quinoa or roasting some veggies or boiling up a dozen eggs. It was so helpful because I found if the healthy food is not in the fridge, when it comes time to lunch and dinner, you are less likely to eat that healthy food. And you'll just grab whatever you can find and try and throw something together, which may not always be the most nutritious choice. And meal prepping is also, is also a game changer for me because I do not like cooking and I do not want to be spending hours in the kitchen every night trying to think of some meal to put together. So for me, when I meal prep, I listen to a podcast, audiobook, call a friend or listen to music to just try and make it a fun experience to do. Yeah, so combining the pleasure with <laughs> with things that we have to do, right? <laughs> with practical things, yes. So how do you do uh, meal prep? Do you cook then once a week for the rest of the week or how do you do that? Um, I meal prep twice. So once on a Sunday, I cook up a big pot of something. Either that's curry for me. So I put a lot of vegetables in like a curry pot with coconut milk which is a great healthy fat and then either with 
a chicken or a beef or some kind of meat. And I use different flavors every week to kind of keep that going. And then sometimes on the side, I'm cooking up some quinoa, some buckwheat, some kind of carb alongside that. And then I might meal prep again during the week and roast a whole lot of vegetables so that I'm eating vegetables in a different way. Because sometimes if we always boil the vegetables, it becomes boring. So we got to try, okay, can we bake them? Can we fry it? Can we do something different? And yeah, I either have like a piece of salmon or a piece of meat or just try and have something different. And then breakfast, there's no meal prepping for me because I, oh, I do boil up a dozen eggs every weekend. So then as soon as I go and eat breakfast, I've got my boiled eggs there and then avocado boiled eggs done. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, um, I actually, by the way, eat the same breakfast, which is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, avocado eggs on rice crackers. It's <laughs> exactly my breakfast at the moment. And it works really well. It really keeps me satisfied for a good two, three hours um, until mm -hmm. I'm ready for my little snack. My food preparation is um, slightly different. Um, I The way we do it, we cook once a day. And that's usually at nighttime in the evening. And we are usually thinking ahead. And I usually think in food groups, which are which similar to you, what is going to be my protein for tomorrow. Um, and I would usually either, you know, prepare some form of meat or tofu. I really enjoy tofu. Tofu, mm -hmm. um, usually uh, we like we usually boil eggs as well for next day or at least two next days, uh, two days mm -hmm. ahead as well and then usually thinking about what are going to be my vegetables tomorrow so do I fry them like you're saying or do I make like a stir fry do I prepare a salad something like mm -hmm. that um, and then carbohydrates I usually yes cook carbohydrates really for a few days uh, ahead and quite often it is actually going to be my um, oven vegetables um kumara mm -hmm. um pumpkin potatoes if we, have, if we have some potatoes and usually that lasts me really good for four days uh, yeah. and my carbohydrates are sorted i am a very lazy cook as well <laughs> i do not want to cook and i keep it absolutely basic and one of the basics and i think it can go more basic than that <laughs> that's something <laughs> that i am sharing with clients regularly um i would grab a whole chicken put that mm -hmm. into the oven and then i grab kumra so for people who are outside of new zealand it's basically sweet potatoes yeah right sweet potatoes i just wash them i don't even peel them i just cut <laughs> them in half and i put them beside beside the chicken in the oven why because it actually turns out just absolutely amazing it softens so and and i just mm -hmm. scrape it out with a with a spoon afterwards i do not need to even peel it <laughs> <laughs> and then my chicken is cooked and i didn't need to do anything apart from washing chicken and washing um potato like the sweet potatoes or potatoes or whatever i have put some seasoning on top of it done so that's yeah. that that's that's as far as i can go <laughs> with lazy cooking <laughs> i love it gotta try it myself it works <laughs> yeah um awesome uh the next practical piece is uh just getting a good night's sleep it's again something so simple and it's not complicated but it's it's so necessary 
I'm sure we've all had an experience of how shitty we feel after a bad night's sleep and how much more food we, we crave or we need to eat or sugary drinks or caffeinated drinks we need just to keep awake and energized from having a bad night's sleep. So once I started to prioritize my sleep and actually go to bed earlier, like 9.30, 10, I noticed such a big difference on my energy levels and I had less brain fog, I was less stressed. And the piece for me was a quality night's sleep is created by a quality bedtime routine. <laughs> so I turn off electronic devices at least 30 minutes before bedtime. That's my phone on airplane mode. That's shutting off my laptop, putting that away, dimming the lights or turning on more of like a warmer soft light, applying like lavender to my, to my arm and my neck, either doing some simple breathing exercises or slow, slowly stretching or even just reading a few pages of my book. And that half an hour wind down routine really sets me up for like a really nice, beautiful sleep. And I need eight hours at least to function, in which I know you were saying you uh, you love your sleep as well. <laughs> I, I need nine hours. <laughs> and I am. And usually if I get even seven and a half, I will suffer during the day. I need minimum of eight between, yes. between eight and nine. I, it's it's good that's where I'm kind of I'm killing it <laughs> yep yeah actually interesting about sleep so I have been looking into sleep recently mm-hmm. um and started using my watch my Fitbit watch to mm-hmm. observe my sleep mm. and something that I've realized the earlier I go to sleep the more deep sleep I get and the higher is my rating for my sleep. Mm. I am getting a bit competitive there with <laughs> rating, something I'm noticing. But what I've noticed as I'm observing every day, um, the chart, I guess, how my sleep was, I noticed that my deep sleep starts when I go to sleep until about two or three, usually 3 a.m., yeah, so that means if I go sleep to sleep later, I miss actually out on that deep sleep and I don't yeah. get that past three o'clock. Really, I do most of the time. That's where the body starts waking up. And actually, when I started looking into it, it makes sense because that's when the body starts releasing um, already cortisol slightly. Mm. So, so we are naturally then waking up. So mm-hmm. to really get the most out of our sleep, we should be going to sleep around 9 30 10 o'clock 10 o'clock as they say is the latest i find even 9 30 seems to be working really really well for me yeah so i know that a question someone may have which is what i used to say is like how do you get your partner on board to an earlier bedtime routine i know for me it was like a conversation like can we please go to bed earlier? It will really benefit both of us. It would be, you know, it means a lot to me if we can go to bed earlier. Cause I know a lot of people have partners out there that maybe like they want to go to bed at 11 and you want to go to bed at nine. And there's a bit of a give or take situation. So how did you get your partner on board? <laughs> well, actually you're asking me a question. I've never, never, ever shared with anyone about oh, our, our arrangement and I knew that there will be time where I will need to share our arrangement don't have we, to we actually don't sleep together in the same bed and we don't sleep mm-hmm. together in the same room 
um, because mm -hmm. I am very, we have very different, um, I guess, rhythms when it comes mm -hmm. to bedtime. And he usually goes to bed at 2 a.m. in the morning, sometimes oh 3, God. sometimes 4 a.m. in the morning. That's why I'm <laughs> telling him off, actually. But usually 2, 3 o'clock. And that would just not work for me. He can go without sleep. Like he can go, let's say, by just only five hours sleep. And he is, he's functioning fine. Where for me, it wouldn't work. Um, mm -hmm. And I really don't get interrupted in my sleep either. <laughs> so I'm quite protective of my sleep. So that's why we have, we have different, different rooms. And I must say, people usually then ask me, really that like old people do when they, when they <laughs> no longer like each other anymore. and I say actually it works really really well it doesn't affect our relationship it doesn't affect our um, intimacy it doesn't affect anything other than I'm a happy person during the day because I had, <laughs> I had my sleep <laughs> I love that idea yeah. <laughs> if I had if I had more rooms I may actually <laughs> create the same thing yeah like you're saying, it probably positively impacts it. Again, going back to if you have a bad night's sleep, you're not a great person the next day. For, and then you spill that onto the people around you. So prioritizing your sleep is so important. And yes, maybe taking extreme measures like you've done or taking whatever measures you can within your situation. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the last practical piece there's so many but that's the last one i'll it's share one is yeah <laughs> choosing a movement you love to do so many people ask me like what's the best exercise and i like to say the best kind of exercise or movement is the one you love doing and the one you will do consistently because many people including myself back in the day fell into the trap of choosing a form of exercise based on the amount of calories they think it will burn. Like maybe that's like hit or the gym. They, they choose that because, oh, that's, that's the one that burns the most, but they don't like doing it. So then they don't do it that often or they give up and say, mm, exercise isn't for me. Like I know for myself, I used to do a lot of Pilates, which is a great one, but I was doing it because I thought it burned calories. So they, the reason behind was not the healthiest one. So after I gave myself permission to just choose an exercise I love doing, regardless of how many calories it burned, I became very consistent with exercise. And for me, that is walking, just walking, very simple. Again, there's nothing complicated about it. And yeah, I now do not miss a day of walking in the afternoon and I listen to a podcast while doing it. So if you're still kind of choosing exercise based on the amount of calories, it may or may not burn. I'd suggest just experimenting with finding a movement that you actually love. Dancing, walking, cycling, skipping, whatever. <laughs> What's your go-to? My go-to, walking actually at the moment, but I also go through phases where I, um, there was a time where I loved the gym and the weights. And then uh, I did a lot of yoga for many years and was teaching yoga as well. Um, mm -hmm. I danced for many years. So when, especially when I was competing and performing, our we practice sometimes five to six times a week. So that was kind of enough for me. But I also actually did go to the gym at the same time. And at the moment, I think I am more in the 
sort of slowing down phase of my life. Mm -hmm. So walking every day, getting, again, I, I am really using my Fitbit, <laughs> Fitbit watch <laughs> at the moment. So getting my 10,000 steps is, seems like really um, encouraging me to get up and get that accidental movement. So going to the mm -hmm. kitchen or going to, well, actually walking to the supermarket instead mm -hmm. of getting a car, like taking the car. Um, yeah, so I'm walking at the moment seems like it's the, the priority. Yep, yeah. That. Did you have any sort of unexpected ways um, that have helped you to overcome binge eating? Anything you yep. haven't mentioned? Um, freestyle dancing was a big one for me. Mm -hmm. By freestyle dancing, I simply mean putting on a great song and just allowing my body to move, shake and dance in whatever way it wants to for about 15 minutes a day. And this is something I still practice daily. And the reason it's so um, powerful is that it's just so fun and playful, which we often miss in our lives as we get older. And sometimes, maybe myself included, is we try and find that fun and playfulness by turning to food. And we eat fun foods. So dancing, for me, filled that void in a really healthy way. And dancing also just releases stress and tension from the body. Like at the end of the day, just shake it all out. I know, uh, I can't remember, I listened to a podcast once and they say that we don't complete a lot of our stress cycles. So by dancing and shaking, we kind of complete that stress cycle and kind of get it out of the body because so much stress and tension gets trapped in the body and we need to release that. And it kind of helped me a lot with binge eating because it helped me connect with my body and actually feel the feelings of my body and the sensations, which created body awareness. So that when I was eating, I could start to feel when I was full and I could start to feel what foods felt good in my body and what feel foods didn't sit well in my body. So it, it really created a whole lot of body awareness, which we're kind of missing when we, we turn to like binge and emotional eating, we kind of override um, our body's messages and our body signals to stop so mm, it's creating that connection with your own body right um, mm -hmm. instead of like obviously when we binge we're trying not to connect with it because we just we are I don't even know we are if we're connected at all with anything usually mm -hmm. it's numbing everything uh, mm -hmm. any emotions any feelings any any sensations in our body it's just only kind of um yeah, we focus so much on eating that food um, so that that really makes sense. And also what we know about dancing, and I think that's why I just personally always loved dancing and still do, uh, it releases dopamine yeah. and endorphins, right? So it naturally just makes us feel so, so good where like, when it comes to binge eating, quite often the reason why we do that is because we were eating it to change how we feel. Mm -hmm. And... And we want to have that feel good feelings and we do that through food or whatever the drug of choice is at that time where dancing is maybe slightly healthier way or actually <laughs> a much, much healthier way yes. to get that. We are changing how we're feeling when we dance. Mm -hmm. It's really almost hard to feel bad <laughs> after, yep. after a dance or while we are dancing. Yeah. So it's another way to change how we feel and also release dopamine and endorphins and all those hormones that actually 
really make us feel good. Absolutely. And even if you're thinking, I can't dance, it doesn't matter. <laughs> just put on a playlist, dance in the dark or just dance by yourself in your bedroom. It's not how you look. It's, it's how it feels in the body. And yeah, because I know that could be something that someone might be listening and be like, well, dancing's not for me. I'm not very good. It's not a performance. <laughs> um, and nobody's and watching probably either. <laughs> Close no. those windows, curtains, and just go and have fun. Yeah. Um, now, when we talk about binge eating, I do find um, when I talk to clients about the 13 triggers um, that I've identified that tend to be the reasons for binge eating, one of those is actually also habit. So, which means if we are doing something for a long time, time and repeat that same behavior over and over again it does unfortunately turn into a habit which means it turns into automatic I guess behaviors that we do and quite often it becomes kind of like that pattern and routine of our day so we have people who would say I always binge on a Friday night or always in the weekend or I always do that when my kids go to bed and nobody's watching and, and now it's me time and I can relax so it mm -hmm. becomes kind of like that that pattern and a habit. Um, what was it for you? Like how did you break that habit, or did how? I guess what kind of habits did you start implementing to mm -hmm. to yeah to make the changes for yourself? Yeah, yeah, I love habits, and they definitely helped me in a big way. So I read the books Atomic Habits by James Clear and Tiny Habits by B.J. Fogg which were really amazing. And if you haven't read them, highly suggest. Love it as well, um, yeah. Yeah. I focused more on creating healthy habits rather than trying to break unhealthy habits, like in the beginning, because I just devoted more attention to building rather than like breaking them. So I've built habits that I've been doing for years now, the walking in the afternoons, taking supplements in the morning, stretching at night, applying lavender, drinking water when I first wake up, listening to podcasts and everything and the question I always ask myself is like how can I habitify my desired actions and so something that worked for me is like doing the habits at the roughly the same time every day and having a cue or a reminder to do them if they're new a calendar reminder a phone reminder a post-it or placing something in the physical environment whether that's keeping your supplements on the kitchen counter or putting your gym clothes on the on the floor so that you see them, like creating some visual cue to remind you to do it. And I also found the trick to building habits is to start small and scale up. So for me, I was trying to implement a workout routine in my morning routine for like so many years, and I just wasn't having any luck. I just like some days I'd do it, and then it would be two months later, and I wouldn't do it. <laughs> So I was trying to go from zero workouts to five workouts a week, which was just too big of a jump. So using what I'd learned in the books, especially the book Tiny Habits, which is all about starting small. So I started with like a one minute workout and did that five days a week. And habits is like after you do a habit, they become unemotional. So just something that you do. So the one minute, it's too easy not to do. 
and it involves very, very limited motivation to get you to start doing that. So after I'd done like a minute workout for a few weeks, then I increased that to five minutes. And then I kept doing that. And then I increased it to 10 minutes and then 15 minutes. And I'd finally reached 20 minutes after a few months. But the idea is being kind and patient to yourself during that habit development phase, knowing that it will take a few months to build a habit, but it can also serve you for like years to come, if not a lifetime. So that is one way I love to build tiny habits, uh, habits in general. And I also just love to build tiny habits, healthy habits during the day and like plant them in different places in my routine. And by tiny habits, I mean they're micro little habits that take 15 seconds or less. So for instance, when I turn on the microwave, I do one squat. And the idea is the benchmark is so low. It's just one, just one squat. But some days I feel extra energized and I do five or 10 squats, which would never have happened if I didn't plan a tiny habit. So you can plant tiny habits throughout your day, whether that's around doing a push-up when you go to the bathroom or doing a squat here or there, or um, even taking a sip of water. Some people struggle to like include more water in their, in their diet. So maybe it's like every time you go to the kitchen, you have a glass of water or, every, or you put a glass of water in your bathroom so that you take a few sips when you go to the toilet or whatever and like another tiny habit I've been playing with is taking a deep breath every time I open my laptop because deep, deep breathing helps us stress less and relax and so we don't end up turning to food so the benchmark is one deep breath but some days again I do five breaths or I do 10 breaths so you just plant these tiny habits in your routine making sure you keep the benchmark very low so that it's doable, it doesn't become overwhelming and it takes like 10 seconds to do, but then you just let them grow and flourish into bigger plants. <laughs> yes, I love it. Tony Robbins actually talks about um, concept, he calls it knit, no extra time. So it means mm -hmm. how can, can I integrate these new habits into my already daily routine. I don't need to in, like, do more, right? Because quite often when it comes to habits, people would then really feel overwhelmed. Oh my God, I'm already so busy. And now I have to do more of these things. Mm -hmm. um, where you, I guess what you're doing is basically what Tony is always teaching, no extra time. I am already waiting at the microwave yeah. of that. You know how they always say a microwave minute is always the longest minute? Yep, it is. It's true. <laughs> and so during that time, I, I know my partner actually, he would do, he would do crunches or plank, mm -hmm. for example. So usually he lies on the floor <laughs> and does something there while the microwave is going. Um, or let's say you're brushing your teeth. You're already there anyway. You are already mm -hmm. doing that activity. Might as well integrate some deep diaphragmatic breathing for example mm -hmm. right and really breathe into your belly or you could have a post-it on the on the mirror and think about let's say five things that went really great during the yep. day so practicing gratitude there uh, yes without extra time I also quite often uh, moms who would say I was who would tell me how overwhelmed they felt after work going home because they knew how demanding and busy that time of the day is. And so many, I guess, children, children want attention and um, maybe the partner is there. So everyone wants a lot of, I guess, time and attention from her. And mm -hmm. one of the things that we were working on is 
working on our breath and relaxing and then mm-hmm. switching into that mode of okay now I'm going home and how can I change my perception from oh my god I have to do this to I, I get to do this there are mm-hmm. people who really um, want me and need me and love me and I get to help and support them and love them as well so it's mm-hmm. kind of like that extra no extra time so integrating (laughs) these little habits into your daily routine that you have already yeah and another helpful point with habits is like I can't remember if it's called linking or what the concept is called you like glue them the habit onto something that you already do consistently like you're saying like we already shower every day we already eat breakfast every day or we already do x y and z so adding the habit at that time of your routine so if you're showering that's the time that maybe you can do one squat before a shower or like reading if you already um already get into bed 10 minutes early to lie there that's when you can add reading or or like deep breathing you're already sitting down to eat a meal you could add a a breath before you eat and just like integrating it into your existing like routine really helps just like plant them all in So if you, like for me, I mapped out my whole week and like wrote everything I did down. And then it's like, okay, now that I can visually see what I'm doing, where in my life can I start adding these habits? Like, where could they go? What's the most optimal place? And if you put them in a certain point of your routine and it doesn't work, it's okay. Try try a different spot in the routine or just keep problem solving. Or if you start with, let's say three push-ups and that feels overwhelming go back to one keep experimenting and playing with it like just don't give up on the habit it's just um habit optimization like you can do it like habits serve you for a lifetime it's kind of worth the upfront cost of working out how to create them yes and really if something doesn't work well change change your approach right change your approach if that doesn't work change your approach the question should never be whether or if I should do it but rather how how can I make it work because there will be challenges there will be days where we don't want to do something um but again it's like okay what what I'm going to do when I don't want it when I'm not motivated right how how I'm going to get through it yeah Mm -hmm. so habits I, I love habits and I love I love talking about it. I love the whole concept and I love understanding how our brain works and why actually habit creation is just the way our brain is wired because we, mm-hmm. our brain is wired to repeat doing things that are that we know because that requires least amount of energy to get things done. And our brain is kind of a little bit lazy there as well. So, um, and if we know how it works and how our brain works, we can work really with it rather than allowing to work against ourselves. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So mindset, mindset, I can imagine that probably was something that you also had to work through. So we talked about habits, which is obviously, and then really working on, and what it sounds like you're still working on implementing new habits and try different things. Um, so it requires a certain mindset, um, how does minds in play um, a role in all of this? Yeah. Um, yeah, I really believe like having an empowered growth mindset is the key to overcoming challenges and like you're saying, implementing new solutions and just overcoming anything in general. Like we get to decide um, 
how we perceive our eating challenge or just like the challenge of implementing a new habit and what it, we make it mean about us and our lives. And this perception influences our thoughts, influences our feelings and acts, actions and consequently our results. So if we change our mindset, we're having a big impact on our results and whether or not we implement our habit or not, for instance. So we get to decide whether we view our eating challenges such as emotional eating or binge eating, or if you're just having a health challenge in general, as opportunities to grow and evolve as people or as reasons to kind of stay stuck and stagnant in life. And I totally get it. I know it can be difficult to change your mindset. So I'll share for me a few years ago before studying at the Institute and really getting into learning, I was approaching my own eating challenges with a fixed mindset and a bit of a victim mentality mindset, by which I mean, I was thinking things like, oh, why me? Why do I have to deal with this challenge? I'm not good at healthy eating. I'm such a failure. Like, why didn't anyone teach me about healthy eating? Like, I can't fit any nice clothes anymore. This sucks. And that kind of mentality. I was blaming other people and I wasn't taking personal responsibility for my health and my life. I was getting triggered by other people's health success. And I was trying to change my body and health from a mindset of hate. Like I was trying to guilt trip myself into making healthy changes. So for full transparency, I remember I used to write these horrible letters to myself. It was like, dear Charlotte, like, I'm so disappointed in you. You oh. binge ate again. That's like, that's disgusting. Fix this problem ASAP. And your body's looking trouble. How could you let this happen? And I was just like, that was the mindset I was trying to solve a problem with. And I, I was like, why is this not working? <laughs> and I was seeing like every health slip up and binge episode as like a failure and like further evidence of my incompetence rather than just seeing it as part of the health journey. But luckily, luckily, <laughs> I got into reading books. For some reason, I started ordering a lot of books on Amazon. And I ordered a few books on mindset, even the book Mindset by Carol, Carol Dewick or something. So after reading um, those books and internalizing that wisdom, things started to shift for me. And I realized that the current mindset I had was holding me back from the life I desired and achieving any health goals I wanted to achieve. So I started to see and relate to health challenges in a whole new way. Rather than seeing my binge and emotional eating as this burden in my life and something to, that was stopping me from living, I now saw it as an invitation and a doorway into growth and into my next level self. I also started to see uh, it as more of a personal development journey rather than just like a health journey, which made the whole experience a lot more meaningful and purposeful because everything in our lives is connected to everything else. And I know that we like to compartmentalize things into, well, that's health category, that's wealth category, that's business category, that's this category, but, but for, for better or worse, everything is impacting everything else. So if we expand it out to a personal development journey, we can actually achieve more. And I saw it, the mindset now changed to uh, how can I use this experience as an opportunity to like reclaim my personal power, especially from a very masculine dominated dieting and weight loss world. And 
that was full of all these beauty narratives, which we kind of touched on in the start. And I saw it as an opportunity to let go of limiting beliefs, shed old identities, redefine what beauty means to me, redefine what health means to me, and take a look at everything that was going on in my life that was no longer serving me, rather than just this minor health piece. And I adopted a growth mindset, which is so key, because we can real we get to realize that everything is learnable. Like you can learn how to eat healthy, you can learn how to nourish yourself, you can learn how to love your body, and that's so empowering. Just the belief that you can learn anything. So if you're sitting there right now and it's like, oh well, no one taught me how to be healthy. My parents didn't pass on this health information. Like I'm like you know that doomed, fixed mindset. It's just take a step back and realize that even no matter how old you are right now, even if you're 50, 60, 70, you still have the power to change because we are amazing human beings with the capacity to always learn no matter what age we are. So I took, yeah, also I took radical responsibility for my health and life choices. I looked at other people's health success now as a possibility portal and something to aspire to rather than something to become envious about. I started experimenting with different health strategies like the tiny habits, like I was saying, from this place of curiosity. Ooh, let's see what happens. Let's see how I go with it rather than like approaching it with a judgment like, oh, if it doesn't work, I'm a failure. No, it's just a learning. Everything's a learning feedback. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> to, to summarize all that, uh, Yes, <laughs> mindset does have a profound impact on whether we overcome our eating challenges or not. Because it's often, like you said at the start, it's our mind that shifts first before our body shifts. Because in our mind, things can happen at lightning speed, whereas our body is in the physical 3D world and it takes a little bit longer for things to kind of change. <laughs> and I know many people they become very fixated on losing weight, which was me. And they think like, well, if I lose weight, then I will experience happiness, joy, pleasure. I will be fulfilled in life. <laughs> and which is ironic because it, it doesn't happen like that because unless you change your mindset along the weight loss journey, you will get to a skinnier body, but still have the mindset of like hate and self-loathing, which is exactly what happened to me. So a part of this wider weight loss journey, it needs to encompass both losing weight from your body and also losing weight from your mind, which is the outdated stories, the shame, the guilt, all of that. You need to shed killers in both, both areas. And maybe more importantly is changing the mindset. Mm. And also, I really love what you said. So many, so many points there um, to understand that binge eating or any sort of messages from our body I actually messages that mm -hmm. there is something to look into it is an opportunity for us to look into our soul into our life into purpose into what where am I living out of alignment with myself where am I saying yes to where I want to say no to what is really mm -hmm. happening because I really strongly believe, and it's a saying that I keep saying, I don't think we have food or body problems. I think mm -hmm. we have a life problem. Yes. And when we see it as a 
actually it it's it's a life so there's there are other things in our life that are um leading us to i guess then overeat or drink or or do other things that are harming us let me just have a look what is really happening where is the trigger can i go right back and take that uh focus away from the actual binge eating or binge drinking or whatever we are doing to what is causing that? Where is this coming from? Why am I behaving that way? What does food represent to me in that moment? Mm-hmm. And I know for me, my story was to a certain degree similar to yours. Um, when I was struggling with binge eating and could really, really not stop eating at times um, and stop eating particularly sugary food, for me, I actually reversed all of that. And first the first things uh, that I started looking into was asking myself, what does food represent to me? What does food mm-hmm. mean to me? Um, when do I, do I eat that food? What do I really want? What do I desire instead of food? Because it's not the food that I really want. It's a certain feeling. And I was just mm-hmm. stuck in that, in that cycle, basically. Um, and yeah, so that's why I guess I was really, when I was talking to you the first time and I really realized, the way you see things are very is very similar it's very aligned with what i believe about binge eating and i really don't see binge eating as a problem it's just an opportunity uh, to mm-hmm. look to learn and to it's basically just a message from a life or body or soul or heart mm-hmm. that hey i need your attention i need you to look what's what's really happening what's going on there Yep, absolutely. Like our health challenges and crises or whatever you want to call them, they're like that wake-up call, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you aren't able to take action through like the, the minus symptoms, it's going to keep presenting bigger and bigger symptoms until it's like, okay, I'll take action. And like you were saying, it's an opportunity to start reevaluating our lives and getting more into alignment with what our true heart's desires are, which is a great gift. Like I see eating challenges as a gift rather than as something we should wish away. Like before you start wishing it away, like take stock of what is it here to teach us, which is the next point of like why I believe there's a deeper reason for them. And whether that reason is simply just to start realigning with our life or whether it's that you're not um, acting on your heart's desires, which for me, a reason for binge eating was because I was lacking love and connection and food is such an quick and easy way to get love and connection like getting out there dating meeting new that's hard harder than just reaching for a packet of biscuits but that heart's desire is not going away and food and binge eating will just become a placeholder until you're ready to take action and start really living in alignment so you're going to keep having the same patterns until you make different choices until you really look at like okay what is the reason like you're saying what is the trigger is this about love is this that I'm in an unfulfilling career that sucks my soul and therefore the only pleasure is going home and eating like whatever I want and binge watching Netflix because my my eight hours during the day sucks (laughs) or whatever it is yeah, absolutely. Um, it reminds me of my TED talk that I did. And what I said there, I said, food was my lover, was my psychologist. Yeah. 
was my friend. It was everything to me because it didn't reject me. It was mm -hmm. always there for me. It was easy. It was available, right? At any, any, really, if I wanted to 24 seven, petrol stations are open. There are some supermarkets <laughs> that are open. It's always there. And sometimes really, you know, much, much easier to reach. And for me, it was really at that time, like you, um, when I was lonely and alone. And unfortunately, because because of what was happening, I withdrew even more from my dance community, from my all my hobbies, from my friends. So I was even lonelier. But because I was lonely, as I, I was reaching for food and gaining weight and all of that was happening. And it was really that vicious cycle. And it requires strength to, to get to a point where you say, that's it. I, I need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But it's also fun to start looking at your desires. Like it can be a fun experience. Like a lot of us, we don't, like we grow up and then we forget about our desires and our dreams. So it's like, we get to bring them back up to the surface. Like, mm, what? it's like, what am I really hungry for? It's like, what it, am I hungry for friendship? Am I hungry for a purposeful career? Am I hungry for, I don't know, a new house, new, whatever you're hungry for. And just like, yeah it's just a fun opportunity <laughs> it's the best way I can describe it yes absolutely and I I'm still very grateful actually for all these struggles that I had because that's what has given me a set purpose in my life that's what's um, started unlocks you back then it was a completely different name but <laughs> that's what started everything it's what started my journey uh, when I promised myself when I get better I want to mm -hmm. help other people to do the same because I know I was suffering by myself, alone, lonely, didn't share it with anyone. I was carrying so much shame and guilt on my shoulders and mm -hmm. I didn't want that for other people. So me, and I can imagine for you it was probably something similar. Yep, exactly the same. And yeah, like you touched on, it's it feels lonely because like when we try and explain it to our friends and families, they might not get it. They don't really, unless they've had a similar eating challenge themselves, they're like, they're listening, but they're not really understanding, which causes us to then go into like hiding and not want to talk about it. So yes, I see like coaching as like, you're that trusted friend. You get to be that friend that's there for them. They can share whatever's going on with them. All feelings, all emotions are welcome. And just like bringing that, the eating challenge into the light, because that's what dissolves shame. Like when we're in shame, we want to go into hiding. We want, don't want to talk about it. But as we start talking about it, as we start acknowledging that, yes, I do have a challenge or a disorder, then we can start, you know, moving forward towards the light. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And here we are. Yes, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> Here we are, um, supporting, helping other people, being on the other side and really hope, I really hope, and that's why um, I share my personal story as well, giving other people hope and um, really, I guess, trust that, hey, you can get over this, really. It's, mm -hmm. it's, not, um, it's not a matter, uh, it's not a question of, of if, it's really um, about, just get started, reach out, 
there are people who uh, know how to help and how to support and really like what you Charlotte said it's it's a privilege to support people as well absolutely yeah well thank you for being here for open uh, sharing openly and vulnerably about your your personal journey and giving so many amazing amazing tips as well and I'm sure that a lot of people will really take a lot um from your tips and can really apply them in their in their lives as well yeah thank you so much for having me on yeah just even just one person listens to this and changes their life that is that's enough and that's, that's amazing right. and then we've done our job yes <laughs> <laughs>